welcome to the Lakers Lowdown. I'm Anthony Irwin. Today on the show, well, I had planned to have a guest on the Lakers Lounge, um, somebody I was looking forward to talking to. Uh, that fell through way later in the night, into the night, than I would normally prefer. So instead, what I'm going to do is dip into the mailbag to answer your guys' questions, and uh, I am blown away by the number of questions that we have. So uh, let's dive on into it. Again, a reminder, if you want a topic, any topic, especially as we head into the offseason, anything. Like minutes before I, I started recording this, I was watching The Ultimatum uh, on Netflix. So if you have questions about that, <laughs> fire away. Screw it. But, uh, it, you know, whether they're Lakers topics, NBA topics, sports topics, whatever, uh, send them in the form of a five-star review on iTunes, and I guarantee I will get to them, um, even if it is on a random, in this case, Wednesday. So this is a, uh, a We Will Answer Your Questions Wednesday mailbag. So the first one that we get here, though, from Lakers Fedora, um, and and. I regret even acknowledging <laughs> the name, but the question here, uh, or the, the 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 message here, there are very few forms of NBA media sufferable at this point. But I know I can always count on Anthony to do it right. He and his guests are always very informed, and they do a great job for Lakers fans. Thank you very much uh, for that, and um, you know it, it 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 means quite a bit. The question here, what's the ideal offseason look like for the Lakers? Keeping it realistically, what would you do here? Thanks, and keep up the great work. Um, so I've answered this, you know, in various iterations over, you know, the since the, the Lakers season ended uh, in that in that Western Conference final sweep um, in, in a few different ways. So what I think I'm going to do here is I'll, I'll kind of briefly – answer the actual question and then offer up an update for how I think things are going to go. Uh, so we will start with the uh, direction I think the Lakers should should go in here. And, and for one thing, you know, you, you, you have to bulk up. The Lakers were very small over the course of the season and way too much of their talent that Darvin Ham trusted uh, w- you know, was, was in the backcourt and came in the form of like guys who were six, four and under. And, uh, that it's one thing if you have that many guys and all of them are like snipers that really bend the defense or really get after it defensively and, and you can switch and they're physical and all those things. But like a lot of the Lakers, small guys weren't really any of that, right? Like Kendrick Nunn is a pretty good shooter, Pretty bad defender. Uh, Lonnie Walker is a streaky shooter, right? And a streaky defender. Dennis Schroeder gets after it defensively, but he's so small that I don't know that it really matters all that much and uh, is, you know, not respected at all as a shooter. Patrick Beverly, right, was a bad shooter for most of his time with the Lakers. And, uh, you know, was asked to guard small forwards and that made him a worse defender. So just like all around, like even Austin Reeves is a good shooter, right? Doesn't do it much on volume though. So it doesn't, it doesn't really bend the defense necessarily. And he doesn't, he's not like an imposing defensive presence. Um, and, and yeah, just kind of like D'Angelo Russell, the, the guy that they brought in and, and Malik Beasley, right? Both streaky shooters 
at best and at worst not playable in the postseason. So the Lakers had a whole bunch of like resources allocated on guards who, you know, I, I think Reeves is going to be legitimately good next year. But uh, outside of that, like there, there just aren't very many guards that I'm looking at like, okay, definitely bring that guy in and, and the Lakers can definitely plan for that player taking a step forward next year. Um, and, and I think, you know, while it's certainly extreme to just show all of them the door without a real plan to, uh, to replace them, I also am perfectly fine with seeing a lot of those guys not in Lakers uniforms next year um, with a, you know, more of a move towards bigger, more physical players who, yeah, maybe the shooting is just as inconsistent, but the one, the most consistent thing in all of sports is size. That doesn't change. Right. And, um, you know, I think watching Denver dwarf, a lot of the teams that they were playing against. Uh, and, and it kind of it really reminded me of the Lakers playoff run a couple of years ago when they won their championship. Like when you're bigger and you are at least like similarly skilled to the teams that you're playing against, that is a huge mismatch. And it is really difficult to overcome. And, you know, leaning into that identity of being bigger and being, you know, more bruising and, really beating the shit out of whoever you're playing against. Like that is the direction that I want this offseason to go in. Um, now the second part of that answer, right, is, you know, kind of an updated version on, on what I'm hearing. Um, again, I'm hearing nothing but confidence from the Lakers that uh, Austin Reeves is going to once again be in that uniform next year. That hasn't changed. And that has been the most consistent theme of the offseason to this point. So he is going to be back, whether it's on a four-year, $56 million deal, or if it's on like a short-term prove-it type of deal, so he hits free agency next year. That is what is left to be decided upon. But um, Reeves is going to be back from what I've heard to this point. The uh, other aspect of this is... Um, Rui is somebody that the Lakers desperately, you know, not desperately, but, but definitely want back. They really like what they saw from him in the postseason. He is a part of that bruising identity that I just kind of talked about. And I feel pretty confident in anticipating he is going to be back. The same can't quite be said, though, about D'Angelo Russell. Um, I... I do believe that things are better between him and the organization than they were when the Lakers traded him away the first time. Um, that said, there is just a lot of whispers about how the Lakers felt about the way that he handled um, injury information at the end of the year. And then on top of that, he was not playable in the Western Conference Finals in a way that really calls into question what he's ever going to be able to do in that spot. Um, and so I would be, I, 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 at best, I think it's a 50-50 proclamation that he is back with the Lakers next year. And I think it's, it's just as likely that the Lakers basically use him as trade filler either 
right now at the at the you know heading into the into the off season or in, heading into free agency or at the deadline. I don't see a scenario here where D'Angelo Russell is like a, a Lakers lifer from here moving forward. Um, the other kind of couple questions here that that I'm really interested in is the way that the Lakers handle uh, Mo Bamba, right? Mo Bamba has a contract that um, has to be guaranteed by, I believe, the 28th, and um, the draft is on the 22nd or 23rd, and I think it's the 22nd. And I would be pretty surprised if Mo was a Laker past the draft, and I would be outright shocked if Bamba was a Laker next year in any capacity. I just um, doesn't seem like the Lakers were were thrilled with that experience. It doesn't help they got hurt, and and even before he got hurt, though he's still more a theory of a player than somebody I. I think anybody can confidently rely upon Um, and and definitely not at the number that he's going to be at next year. Um, Malik Beasley is an interesting one because there is still reported interest around the league in his skill set, right? He is still on volume, one of the better shooters in the NBA, but you know, he's the latest example of somebody who shot really, really well elsewhere, arrived in LA and then didn't. And, you know, that is, uh, you know, something that the Lakers, um, you know, took note of. And, and I, I, I think that he's probably worth more to the Lakers as a trade piece than as a player. But unlike Bamba, I do think there is a scenario here where the Lakers get more from Beasley than uh, they got last year. I, I, I do think, like... The one thing about shooters, right, is, you know, as 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 much as you would like to see them just be kind of plug-and-play shooters, uh, that's not necessarily how this works. And if, in Beasley's case, you know, they, they try to run sets for him, they try to use him as just like a floor spacer whose gravity, you know, allowed them to, to do other things. And, um, you know, over the course of the season, he just kind of, slowly but surely slipped into unplayability. And and by the way, like him as a shooter, it has been a fairly steady slide from being like absolutely elite a few years ago to less than elite now. And uh yeah, I, I he's another guy that I would say I think it's a little bit more likely that he's not a Laker next year than that he is. Um and it's just kind of a matter of what the Lakers can get for a guy who, um, you know, is is still kind of a project and a little too old to actually be a project. So um, that's kind of the latest that I'm hearing on those guys. I do know that the Lakers are interested in, in uh, bringing in a center, whether that is to start next to AD or... Uh, you know, just have as an option against Jokic. Uh, I I would be pretty surprised if they didn't bring in a bigger body just to not be a disaster when AD is on the bench in ways that like those, some of those smaller groups were um, in, in that series. Uh, I, I, and, and then, you know, the Lakers, uh, you know, I think they also understand that 
at this stage of his career, LeBron would like a little bit more creativity so that he doesn't carry have to carry as much of it. So I think they're going to be in on Chris Paul, uh, whether that's via sign and trade or whether that is via, um, you know, watching Chris get traded and then bought out or just bought out, period. Um, I do think that is a name that the Lakers are are keeping close tabs on. So I, I hope that answered that that question, um, albeit long-windedly, but, but, you know, at least fairly thoroughly. All right, the next question here comes from Kenny P. 1874. The Lakers need to plan on injuries with their stars. They need to build around a team that can reduce playing time for LeBron and AD. I'm tired of players getting injured. So am I, but I, you know, at this stage, I don't think there's anything you can do about it. Um, if they can't see it, they are idiots or just greedy for revenue. What do you think? I, um, I don't think there's anything like greedy about. It's really difficult, man, to like replace the minutes that would otherwise be filled by LeBron or AD like that. It'd be like asking in, in football, um, you know, Hey, superstar quarterback gets hurt. Whether that is, you know, we just saw it kind of with, with Matthew Stafford, right? He wins the super bowl and his arm isn't quite right. And then his heart, you know, the following season, his arm is not right at all. And that team kind of falls off of a cliff because when you allocate as many resources as it takes to acquire and then pay that quarterback, the backup isn't going to be as good, right? Um, you know, same goes for for pitching rotations, right? And, and bullpens and like, that's just, this just how sports go. And if you have injuries to your highest paid players or your highest paid players underwhelm as, as like Westbrook did, um, it's really difficult to just kind of piecemeal enough uh, productivity to make up for those things. So um, I do think the Lakers are probably like, there are things that the Lakers can do to make the game easier on those guys, right? Bringing in a center next to AD who is a little bit more bruising so that AD can maybe have a few more minutes where he isn't like just absolutely getting beaten to a pulp inside. Um, you know, bringing in some more creative players to lighten the load on on LeBron is something that the Lakers are going to be doing. But but like in in terms of like planning for injury, that's damn near impossible because LeBron is going to be making almost fifty million. I think AD is making about forty five, and yeah, like you just in a cap sport that is impossible to just plan for those guys going down now. You can try to load manage and those games that they miss can be, you know, kind of planned and and you can have a script for how those games might look uh, going into them. But still, like the team is going to be significantly worse in games where LeBron and AD are not available. And then like even while you can load manage, there are going to be some times where those guys get dinged up. So say you like go into a season planning for LeBron and AD to play 65 games and you have kind of like scheduled uh, misses or nights off or whatever, then they get dinged up on top of that. And that 65 game number jumps down to drops down to 60 or 55 or 57 or whatever. And, and that's a lot of time to not have your two highest paid stars. So what you have to do is 
put around them an identity that or a team that has an identity that obviously optimizes is optimized when those guys are around and then on top of that is like functional so that you can beat like the dregs of the league in games that those guys miss right and and can be maybe a little you know somewhat competitive in games that those guys miss and I think that's the the path that the Lakers and basically every other team is trying to figure out moving forward. All right, next question here. Question comes from uh, Manny GV24. Been listening to Anthony's content for years, and this con- this podcast is consistently my go-to for Lakers coverage slash rants. That's perfect. That's a great way to sum it. It's Lakers coverage, and then also he rants a lot. Um since you were pleading for any kind of topic or question for your next episode, I have a random one for you. Years ago, when you were the host of Locked On Lakers, you did an episode with Harrison right after news dropped that Kurt Rambis was actually working for the team. This was around the time Lonzo was drafted, I think. What I remember most is Harrison asking if he could curse on the show and then immediately yelling, Kurt fucking Rambis? The guy who likes butt pictures on Twitter? <laughs> Every time I hear Harrison speak, I think of that episode and his Kurt Rambis rant. Do you remember this at all? I'd love to go into the archives and listen to it again and have a good laugh. So um, I didn't go back and try to find that podcast episode. I, I would imagine it's probably titled, like given like the way that I operate, if it exists, it's probably just titled Kurt effing Rambis. Um, but I, I did message Harrison and I did ask him, hey, do you remember this at all? He was like, I don't don't remember it, <laughs> which means like he and I both are kind of sitting here saying like, yeah, I I don't specifically remember saying that combination of words, but it also sounds like something we would have said at the time when the Lakers were just I and I think the way it all went down um, was that, uh, you know, we were finding out more about the way that Jeannie was was running the Lakers and and how uh, isolated and walled off the Lakers organization basically is. And um, and we found out, like, as part of that, that Kurt Rambis was, like, a high-level consultant and actually carries, like, a lot of weight in the organization. And uh, obviously, Harrison and I didn't really respond very well to that. I It also could have been back when we were finding out that uh, Kurt Rambis had a lot of things to say about Frank Vogel as a head coach. And, um, you know, given Kurt Rambis's record as a head coach, he shouldn't have notes on anybody. Um, and, and again, <laughs> they didn't necessarily respond uh, perfectly to that situation. But, but yeah, it did bring about, like, kind of indirectly, uh, some, fun, <laughs> some fun coverage that Harrison and I have offered up. And uh, makes me wonder why anybody listens to the show <laughs> at all. So thank you. Thank you, Manny, for that question. All right. Captain Matt 8 writes, Hey, Anthony wanted to say great work on the pod. Thank you very much. I saw an ESPN post where they stated that since 1979, only Western Conference teams that won a championship were from California and Texas. It then led me to look up total championships by team 
for the NBA and NFL. Do you think if more of the NBA championships were spread out among teams like in the NFL, that would have helped the NBA to develop more of a larger fan base than just the Lakers, Celtics, and Warriors? So this is um, this is a, a topic that I know I'm going to come back to at some point. Um, one of the numbers that uh, has been making its way around the NBA, uh, this is from Darren Rovell. Um, Justin, the NBA playoffs across ABC, ESPN, and TNT average 5.47 million viewers, making it the most watched playoffs in five years. The NBA, NBA games accounted for 15 of the top 20 most programs among people under 50 since the start of April. And, um, you know, this is a, a that's without the Lakers and Celtics meeting in the, in the finals. And yeah, I think that number would have been higher. Like I think Lakers Celtics uh, would have rated higher than uh, Miami nuggets. But even on, even with that said, um, you know, the, the CBA, and I know that I've spent a lot of time on CBA talking. And if there's any way that I want to put Jen to sleep, I just say the three letters CBA in that order. And, out just like that and I get to play my video game but but um this new CBA is written in a way that you know is really building towards parity they are really going out uh, on a limb to force uh you know parity mediocrity whatever you want to call it on the NBA and um if that is going to be the path that they set forward here where they want you know essentially it's not quite fair to compare the NBA to the NFL because the NFL plays fewer games and we have just different, very different viewing habits as NFL fans versus NBA fans where NFL fans will just tune into any NFL football that might take place. Um, or as every NFL commentator says, you know, the national football league, right? For some reason they, they just can't, say the acronym but anyway um if there's any kind of nfl football on football fans will watch and some of that is because of the way that we've been trained over the years some of that is the way that they make each game seem like an event some of it is gambling and fantasy and stuff like that but but like you know the nba is trying to get to a place where they create more games that fans tune into even if their team isn't playing and uh, you know, they're trying to bring in this uh, mid season tournament. They already brought in fairly success, very successfully the play in tournament. Um, they, you know, so between the, the mid season and play in tournaments, like that's a couple tent poles that didn't exist before. Uh, it used to be that opening night and Christmas were two huge kind of hallmark games or days for the NBA. Um, but now it seems like the NFL is kind of pursuing Christmas and that makes things kind of difficult on them. So yeah, I, um, I think for, for like planning stuff moving forward, uh, I do think the Lakers or <laughs> the league, there's a 40 and stuff. I do think the league is really working towards parity so that like 15 years from now we can look back and, and say that like we, changed viewers habits and people tune in to more games in general than just their own. The only thing is there is no example. There are no examples of that taking place where you have 
you know, through organized and and concerted efforts, changed viewing habits of millions of people who have watched the league a certain way. And this is a gamble, I think. Um, you know, the league to this point has thrived off of dynasties. It has thrived off thrived off of, you know, markets and stars and stuff like that. And it could be, you know, ideally the league would like to see those viewing habits change. But if not, and you become kind of a master of none, then I don't really know what the next kind of steps forward would even kind of look like, you know? So um, I, I know that like talk, talking about ratings and stuff like that, it's a real quick way to turn people off. But here's where I'll say that it's important. Um, you know, we're, 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 we're seeing, uh, you know, layoffs across industries, right? Um, and, you know, one thing that I've kind of noticed from my vantage point, obviously, uh, with my very hands-on, unfortunately, experience here, um, you're, you're seeing basketball get affected, baseball get affected, um, hockey get affected MMA in, in, uh, at SB nation, which used to be a huge earner for them in terms of clicks, um, that got affected as well. So, uh, you know, what isn't getting affected as much is football coverage, right? Football is king when it comes to, uh, you know, ad sales and ad revenue and stuff like that. And, Ad revenue is basically why a lot of these layoffs are taking place. You know, the click isn't worth as much as it used to be. The podcast listen isn't worth as much as it used to be. Video views, slightly different there, different different mathematics that are, that are going in there. Um, but still, like, what it kind of comes down to is, you know, a lot of these companies sell out their, their uh, slated ad spots um, for the football season because they know that that is the most viewed sport in the country. And then from there, there are kind of breadcrumbs for the remaining other sports. And if the NBA wants to get back into, you know, the type of coverage it needs to build the sport and the type of uh, presence in in media that they they want to be, then it needs to continue to grow. And, and I know that everybody just kind of like rolls their eyes and, and doesn't really care about ratings talk. And I was happy to see that we got some like positive ratings stuff um, in a season that didn't feature the Lakers, the Warriors, the Celtics, the Knicks in the final. We never have to worry about the Knicks being in the finals, but still um, that was really good news to me. And it's something that I hope that the league's partners, TNT and ESPN really take note of that. Like, Fans just want good basketball. They want compelling characters. They want, sometimes they want new shit too, right? The Denver Nuggets snapped a 47-year drought to win this championship. So I really do hope that ESPN and TNT take these playoffs and this playoff run and present it better than they did because you tune into ESPN and you have Stephen A. Smith saying like objectively wrong stuff about the NBA and about Jokic and about Miami. And, you know, you tune into to TNT and you have Shaq and, and Chuck and those guys saying objectively wrong stuff. And it's just like this, 
lazy way of presenting the league. And I don't know, you just don't see that with the NFL. And um, yeah, like the fact that, and, and look, I'm, I'm just going to take people behind the curtain. Probably going to piss some people off by saying this, but when you tune into these large national platforms and you hear these people like whining about all-star games being in Utah or in Cleveland or whatever, it's because like they're spoiled and they don't want to go to those cities. They want to go to warm cities for these things. And uh, when you when you hear those same voices begrudge that it is a team that they haven't spent as much time paying attention to um, over the course of a season compared to the larger markets, it's not that they actually care about the ratings. It's that like they don't know as much about the Nuggets and. It's really hard to cram before that test. So, um, yeah, I really do hope that, like, the league's partners, where you do hear a lot of those vo- those voices um, spewing those easy narratives and easy talking points that come across as very entitled, um, I do really hope that those those partners are forced by the league to rethink the way that they cover this sport. Because even in, like, this five-game series between the Nuggets and Heat. It's going to be pretty forgettable moving forward, unless you're obviously from Denver. Um, You had an eight seed rip through the playoffs to get into that spot. Before that, you had a seven seed in the Lakers completely turn their season around. You had uh, a Denver Nuggets team headed by this superstar who is now widely considered the best player in the NBA when a month ago or a few months ago, that just wasn't the case. And shit, a few months from now, that might not be the case again as we see how Giannis responds to Jokic being considered the best player in the league. There's a lot throughout the league to market. And um, if the, the league is going to get to a point where... They aren't just relying on LeBron and Steph and the Lakers and the Celtics and the Warriors. Um, It is going to be because, in part, its partners, ESPN, TNT, um, and maybe new partners, right? We have this new TV TV deal coming up, um, and maybe that's something that the league should hold over ESPN and TNT is like, hey, Amazon is saying that they're willing to cover this league a certain way. They're willing to commit to, you know, better analysis on their daily shows than we get from ESPN. Um, and if if so, then cool. Uh, that's how that's how the league is going to grow in that way, and that's how markets start to matter less. And yeah, I know I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody who wants to see markets to continue to matter as. Uh, that will help the team that I root for continue to be to have a market inefficiency. Um, but the health of the league is hugely important. And this is, I think, how it's going to come about. All right, then the uh, last question here uh, comes from, well, I, I do have a comment, right? John JF80 says, really enjoy this show covering the Lakers. Thank you very much. Um, but Motor Breath writes, hey, Anthony, not a question, but just a number of thoughts relating to D'Lo. I'd love your take on between now and whenever the season begins. 
I found it exciting when he made his return to the Lakers, and I feel his energy slash pay play <laughs> uh, were instrumental to turning the season around. The like I never left game comes to mind. The vibes were infinitely better than with Russ. His playoff performance was spotty and ended badly, but we probably don't go as far as we did without him. I really wanted him to succeed and stick this time. Maybe he still can, but it seems hard to see right now. I agree with that, you know, obviously last sentiment, uh, given what I said earlier in the show, but I also adamantly agree with uh, that, like the Lakers looked their best when Russell was playing well. Um, That was... That was like if the Lakers had Russell going, they just weren't losing that night because there were just too many threats. There was obviously LeBron and AD and and Reeves was consistent enough that like you can kind of bank on his 15 to 17 points. And then if Russell came in and was hitting those transition threes, it was over. And if he was hitting those transition threes and like engaged defensively, it was a blowout generally speaking. And, you know, that is something that the Lakers, I think, are going to take into account is, you know, yeah, um, it ended poorly and there were some questions along the way, but it is hard to ignore how good the Lakers did look at times when he had it going and everybody else was really engaged. And then, you know, what is it worth to the Lakers that he played such a central role in turning the season around? That's that's, uh, you know, something that they continue to kind of ponder. Um, as you guys are probably listening to this, they're probably having a meeting about what the hell to do in that regard now that the season is officially over. Um, I also, to be completely honest, would kind of like to see this work out with D'Angelo Russell and the Lakers. Um, not just because of, you know, the storyline and how much I, I've enjoyed watching you know, him buy into the team concept and how much I just liked watching him play early in his career and then really enjoy watching him play when he has it going. But also because like that is one fewer thing that the Lakers have to focus on and can therefore address with other moves uh, beyond him. So I, I again, don't think he's going to be back. But if he is and he plays well, um, you know, the Lakers are going to be pretty damn dangerous, at least in the regular season. And then maybe at the trade deadline, they part ways and, and, and bring in somebody that they feel a little bit more confident in, in the playoff setting. But, um, until then, this is, uh, this is not an easy decision to make. And it's not one that I think has been fully made quite yet. I do think, the Lakers are open to uh, Russell returning, but I it's really hard to ignore the amount of noise that I've heard that points to Russell not being a Laker next year. All right, that is going to do it here for this episode of the Lakers Lowdown Podcast. Um, again, apologies for the way things went down here, but uh, thank you guys for the questions. Again, if you want a question answered, uh, if you want any topic whatsoever covered here on the show, send it in the form of a five-star review, and I guarantee that I will get to it. Um, again, thank you. To, this is 35 minutes worth of me answering your guys' questions, 
and uh, this would not have been able to take place without your guys' input. So let's keep that train rolling right on into this offseason. Uh, so until tomorrow or until the next time I, you guys hear from me, I'm Anthony Irwin saying have a good one.